the third and last spaceship has taken off from Nasty in search of the other two, which have the gypsies aboard. Unfortunately, the captain, Major General Fester B. Snarkbuster, USAF, open brackets, retired, close brackets, has not allowed Chief Engineer Alistair Truefit McKenzie sufficient time to program the direction-finding computer on the instant matter transporter. They and the third member of the crew, a double agent from Gorblimir named Vladimir Shotitov, are now utterly lost somewhere in space. Meanwhile, on Epsilon-1, a major planet in the Epsilon galaxy, the gypsies have decided that the tribe of primitive men that they've made contact with could use a little help in the matter of such basic skills as making fire, cooking, and communicating with one another. The only word they seem to know, for now, is uh. Billy and Ivan, said Jimbird Flyflower, get yourselves up yarn rail and bring back as many big flat stones as will serve as plates as you can find. Plates? said Dolan. That's being a bit fussy, isn't it? Not at all, me child, said Jimbird. Very practical things is plates when you're eating. I'll not hear a word against them. Now then, where's that firewood and kindling? Jimbird swung around on his one leg and crutch, in time to see the rest of the gypsies emerging from the trees, weighed down with arms full of twigs, sticks and tree branches. These they dumped in a pile and then stood around, dusting themselves off and eyeing the cavemen cautiously. And the cavemen? Well, they were watching what to them was the curious activities of their exotic visitors, with what seemed to be polite interest, although they kept themselves at a safe distance. There was again the invisible circle around the gypsies, into which none of them would tread. Under Jimbird's supervision, Dolan had been busy. A strong, supple stick, thin and about two feet long, had been found. A leather thong had been cut from a strip of animal skin that the cavemen had left lying about and tied to both ends of the stick. As the thong was much shorter than the stick, the stick had had to be bent, thus making what looked very much like a bow. A large chunk of very soft wood had been placed in the middle of a ring of stones. In the centre of this piece of wood was a small hole. The pieces of venison that the cavemen had given to the gypsies the night before were to hand, and all was ready. Right, me child, said Jimbird to Dolan. The procedure is planned. Dolan squatted down by the ring of stones and picked up the bow. A short straight stick, not unlike an arrow, was looped into the leather thong in the centre and slid through the loop until the leather was halfway along it. The stick was inserted into the hole in the centre of the piece of wood and held upright by the flat of Dolan's hand, pressing down on it. Cradling the bow firmly with the other hand, Dolan began a brisk soaring motion which caused the stick to spin around in the hole. It also caused Dolan to cry, Ouch! Jimbird laughed. Rule number one when making a fire. Be sure to protect yourselves at all times. And he placed a pad of animal hide between the end of the stick and the sore palm of Dolan's hand. Dolan began again. Although the upright stick slipped out of the hole a couple of times and had to be replaced, Dolan soon got the hang of it and in no time at all was soaring away smoothly and vigorously. 
Smoke began to rise from the end of the spinning stick. It seemed to Dolan that this was a very tiring method of producing nothing but smoke. Jimbird sensed that Dolan was flagging. Nearly there. Keep it up, Nomi child. Keep it up. And Dolan was delighted to see, after another half minute or so, the birth of a flame. As soon as Dolan removed the stick, however, the flame subsided, but the dry, soft wood continued to glow. Tis now just a matter of blowing and kindling, said Jimbird. Dolan immediately bent down and began to blow energetically into the hole, dropping splinters of wood into it at the same time. Quite soon, a cheerful, crackling little fire was going and the smell of wood smoke that Dolan had encountered for the first time on meeting Jimbird cooking trout by the river outside Nasty Headquarters was in the air. As the flames grew bigger, more and more sticks were heaped onto the fire, until a good strong blaze was going. Well now, said Jimbird, that aren't a give something to think about. And he turned to see what the effect on the cavemen had been of their first sight of fire. The gypsies had become so absorbed in the fire-making that they'd momentarily forgotten about the cavemen. Well, the effect on the cavemen had been quite profound. There wasn't one in sight. The gypsies saw that the mouths of the caves were closed up tight and that the protective tree branches had all been drawn across. The fire had scared them out of their wits. Oi knows what'll bring em back, said Jimbird. He skewered a piece of venison with a pointed stick and held it over the fire. The other seven gypsies followed his example and quite soon the air was filled with the delicious aroma of barbecuing meat. The fat made sizzling, popping noises as it dripped into the fire. They all found flat pieces of wood and caught the fat and ladled back over the meat so that it would not burn. Soon the beautiful smell began to rise up the hillside and penetrated into the caves. Although none of the cavemen had ever smelled cooking meat before, they smelled it now and knew it was good. They huddled in the mouths of their caves, their flat noses wrinkling up as they sniffed loudly at the strange new odour. They poked one another in the ribs quite a bit and went, ugh, quite a lot. Eventually, the biggest and boldest of them, who also happened to be the one who had twice tried to take a bite out of Jimbird's spaceship when it had first landed, hesitantly pulled back the branches sheltering the entrance to his cave and stepped out into the morning sunlight. He looked down the hillside at the group of gypsies, cooking the meat at the fire, sniffed loudly once or twice at the cooking meat smell, licked his lips and began slowly to walk down the slope. His education had begun. The other cave dwellers now began to follow their leader down to the floor of the valley, until they were once again lining the edge of that invisible circle on the ground, which always seemed to separate them from the gypsies. They stood in silence now, dribbling a little at the mouths, as they watched the gypsies eating. Dolan had found a clump of tomato plants in full fruit, had picked some of the reddest ones, 
and sliced them up with a pocket knife. The fresh tomatoes went well with the venison. Dolan decided it was about time to break the ice. After all, the cavemen had given them the meat in the first place. Taking up some of the flat stone plates, Dolan placed a large piece of barbecued venison on each, heaped a pile of the sliced tomatoes on the top, and very casually wandered to a spot about halfway between the gypsies and the cavemen, laid the food on the ground, and just as casually wandered back to the group around the fire. Instantly there was a flurry of rib poking, and the air was filled with uh from every side. Again it was the leader who took the initiative, suddenly bursting across the invisible line. He bent and caught up a plate of the meat and tomatoes. Dolan was interested to see that he took the whole plate and its contents, not just the meat. He stood looking down at it uncertainly, like someone who'd been served an unfamiliar dish at a buffet supper. And then he picked up the entire piece of meat, which was still hissing slightly from the fire, and crammed a great deal of it into his mouth at the very first try. But of course, the meat was too hot. Uttering a roar, he hurled it and the plate to the ground, scattering pieces of tomato everywhere, and stood rubbing his lips, staring at Dolan with something like a look of accusation in his brown eyes. Dolan remembered something from a trip to the zoo. If you stood in front of the monkey cages and caught the attention of, say, a chimpanzee, and then scratched your head, the chances were that the chimp would imitate you by scratching his. Dolan wondered if it was worth a try, and as the man continued to stare, decided that it was. Slowly taking up another piece of meat from the fireside, Dolan lifted it up to face level and blew on it a few times before taking a bite. The man watched closely as Dolan repeated the performance. After the sixth display, Dolan was beginning to think the idea was not getting through. But then the man picked up the still hot plate of meat, just as Dolan did. Brought it to his face, just as Dolan did. And then blew loudly. But not quite as Dolan did. For whereas Dolan did a blow, what the man produced was more of a raspberry. Dolan stifled a giggle and tried again. Blow and the man tried to copy. Raspberry. Old Jimbird was rolling around on the grass, hooting with laughter and slapping his one thigh. Ah, you can't win them all first time, he said. You can't win them all first time. Soon, Jimbird's laughter had infected all of the gypsies. And then, surprise, surprise, it spread to the cave people. The children were rolling about on the grass, apparently copying Jimbird although their laughter was quite genuine. While the adults were jumping up and down on their feet, poking each other in the ribs and alternating their laughter with loud cries of, Ugh, ugh. Dolan thought that the leader began to look a little angry about all this hilarity at his expense, but suddenly he remembered the chunk of meat in his hand, squatted down, and without stopping to think about it, he cooled it with a few blows and took a bite. Dolan would never forget what followed. There was the indrawn gulp of surprise and discovery, as when he had found the spaceship resistant to his bite, but this time with a pleased edge to it. He took the half-eaten piece of meat from his mouth, 
looked at it closely, sniffed it, rolled it into a ball between finger and thumb, popped it back into his mouth and swallowed. In less than a minute, he'd finished off the huge piece of venison, had tried the tomatoes and found them, although pleasant enough, not so good as the meat, and so had taken up another plate. He seemed surprised to find that the cooked meat needed very little chewing before he could swallow it. The raw flesh which he'd eaten all his life had always taken a great deal of chomping round his jaws before he could get it down his throat. In ones and twos, being careful to avoid meeting the gazes of the gypsies, the cave people drifted over the invisible line in the direction of the food. Shyly, some of them bent down and picked up a stone plate. That indrawn gulp of surprise and discovery was everywhere. Ooh! As each of them discovered the delights of barbecued venison and tomatoes. Jimbird kept the fire going, whilst Dolan took Billy and Ivan off in search of more flat stone plates, for there weren't enough to go round the tribe. Meanwhile, Lob Mincing, Bratto, Father Out and Flipper Pilkington kept up the supply of cooked meat for the hungry tribe. The gypsies were now placing the plates down closer and closer to their own group, and without realising it, the cave people were thus getting closer and closer to the gypsies. Now this, said Father Out as he slaved away, basting huge pieces of meat. It's what I calls thirsty work. Yes, mate, agreed Lob Mincing. I never thought I'd see the day that I'd travel a thousand million light years just to work in a Stone Age takeaway. And that's how the ice was broken. It was early afternoon. The cave people were beginning to rouse themselves after the heavy sleep into which they'd all fallen, after gorging themselves on the huge quantities of meat. The gypsies, too, were relaxing in the warm sunlight. Dolan watched as one of the hunters, almost as tall as the leader, but quite slim and lithe, Dolan guessed he was a chaser, a runner-down of edible animals, a killer, walked quietly down to the river, dashed some water in his face, cupped his hands and drank. He then walked back to the group, gathered round the embers of the fire, hesitated for a moment, and then picked up the bow-like implement that Dolan had made under Jimbird's direction to start the fire. The hunter then picked up the spinning stick, with its now burnt end, which was lying nearby. In what seemed to be an attempt to imitate Dolan, the hunter tried to loop the straight stick round the leather thong. But his uneducated hands fumbled it, and the stick, which had a fork in one end, made by the stump of a broken-off twig, became caught on the thong. The hunter, beginning to lose his patience with the thing, wrenched the stick and the thong back towards him, whilst holding the other pliable stick with his other hand. You can guess what happened. The short stick slipped from his grasp, flew twenty feet or so across the clearing, and struck one of his friends, who was bending down to pick up some pieces of tomato, in an unmentionable place. Oh, lemme, said Jimbird. Look what we've gone and done, me friends. Just look at what we've gone and done. Yes, said Dolan. They're armed now, aren't they? They can have a war. They can't even speak yet, but they can have a war. 